Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome as we gather for worship. It's a blessing to see all of you here. I know if you're like me, uh, sometimes the 9 a.m. Sunday morning service slips up on you. Uh, but we're here. Um, hey, I got several things I want to update on and uh, make comments about as we gather. Of course, it's been, a, it's been an interesting week. We started off Monday with uh, funeral services for our dear brother, Freddie Duncan. I know, I think I saw Mary and Jenny and Kim back there. We love you. And, of course, praying, praying for you as well. Our hearts still are uh, processing what has happened with uh, Freddie and his family. So um, it's good to see all of you here. I also want to let you know that uh, Nikki Hobson's mother, Donna, is not doing well. Uh, let's continue to pray for her. Uh, Billy Vaughn has been in the hospital. In fact, he's in the hospital right now. I talked to him this morning with some heart issues, but he said he should come home today. Billy's bad about getting in and out of the hospital and none of us ever knowing it. So he's, he's there this morning. We need uh, to remember him in our prayers, and, and I told him that, uh, that I would update all of you. Also, uh, Mark Buchanan, uh, who I think was mentioned last Sunday morning for prayer, he has the coronavirus, but he's... The last I saw, he's improving. He was not doing well at all uh, midweek, but then the updates I saw recently were, were that he was beginning to, to improve. So let's continue to pray for him. And then Beth East was just telling me that, uh, and I had seen this earlier as well, because there's some connections with other people that we know. Diane Frosolono passed away. Uh, her funeral service, um, I think it's tomorrow. It's today. But, but here's the takeaway. If, if, if you've been exposed or if you have blood that would meet this need, there's a desperate need for plasma. Had she gotten plasma, they feel that her life may have been saved. So um, let's pray for the family of Diane Frosolona. Her, her husband has it, and he's in the hospital. Beth, if I get any of this mixed up, let me know. I'm prone to do that. Uh, so let's pray for this family. Uh, she was related to Beth as a cousin through marriage, so let's continue to remember that. Okay, uh, Rebecca's still with us, and she hadn't had her baby yet, but his due date's tomorrow. So we thank you, Rebecca, for going the second mile and serving on Sunday morning, and let's pray for her and Joe as they're expecting still uh, a baby boy. And then Bryson's back. Bryson, we're glad for, for you being here. And we're thankful for you and Brooke and Charlie that, that I assume all is going well. Okay. Now tonight, uh, if you're interested in worship tonight, discipleship tonight, Bryson is going to teach the youth through the Sermon on the Mount in the youth sanctuary. And then I'm going to do something separate for the adults in here. So we've got plenty of room to spread out <laughs> on Sunday evening. So... We would love to have you join us for youth or adults at 6 o'clock. And then there's Sunday school. Teacher Jeff, uh, this morning at, at 10. So uh, we got to be out of here by 10. So I need to stop announcements. Um, but it's good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Mr. Durrell Langley, would you lead us in prayer, please? Grateful for our food pantry ministry. Y'all continue to pray for what God does through that, that God would give Durrell and the volunteers the strength to, uh, to sustain that need because the need is great. Thank you, D-Rail.
worship this morning was singing in Man of Sorrows. Matchless grace of Jesus.
like, I remember being real little and I singing that in church. And I remember one day I was like, I'm going to figure out what that is. Because you just hear all this stuff going on. But then it's so cool at the same time that just voices can just join together and sing all different things. But all the same things and praise at the same time. Let's pray together this morning. Dear gracious Heavenly Father God, Lord, I thank you for bringing us into your house of worship this morning. And Lord, I thank you um, just personally for, for letting me smile this morning and have, have fun, God, in your house. Um, Lord, I thank you for just the um, wonderful old hymns, God, that, that give us such a powerful message to renew our hearts, Lord, and encourage our spirits, God. That, Lord, your grace is matchless, God. Nothing compares to it. And it's so wonderful, God, and it transgresses all the wrong and shame that we could do, God. But you love us through it all, and we praise your name through it, God. Lord, you were a man of sorrows that paid a price so that we um, do not have to live in sorrows, God, but that we can find peace and comfort and everlasting joy in you, God, um, if we've just accepted your son. If there's anyone this morning, God, who's not accepted that precious gift, God, I just pray that today will be their day of salvation, God. And, Lord, as we dive into your word, Lord, just to study grace this morning, God, I pray that we'll walk away with maybe not a new understanding, but certainly a deeper understanding and um, a specific application that we can take into our lives, God. Lord, we just love you and praise you and thank you, and we turn this time of worship and study over to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Uh, let's turn to the book of James, James chapter 4. What a song. I'm so glad we sang that. The wonderful grace of Jesus. It's matchless, right? Do we really believe that? Do we really uh, not only believe it, are, are we seeking to appropriate that into our lives? There's the grace that we need, that we receive from God, and then the grace that we're also called to, to give to, to others. So the grace we receive from God above, and then the grace that we give out to others. That's the topic of James chapter 4. I'm really loving the book of James. It's so practical, so helpful, and very convicting uh, because we all sin and fall short of, of God's holy standard. And, but James is really laying out for us today uh, something that, that all, all of us need. I think we deal with it on a, on a constant basis in our own personal lives. And, uh, and obviously we see that it's, that it's an issue on, on a larger scale um, in our nation and in our world. Uh, but today we're going to see that God does give, God does provide a greater grace. God provides a greater grace. I had the opportunity Wednesday night to preach at Flat Rock Campground in Heard County. I think it was their 144th um, annual revival services anyway. But what I thought was neat was a lot of the people sat in the wooden pews that are built there in, in the arbor. But I don't know how many, but a lot of people were in their cars. It was interesting to preach through the radio to those cars. About midway through the sermon, some horns started honking. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And, and, and not, then, then the, the, they, they assured me, the people that meet there regularly, oh, they're amening, they're amening. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I think that's... <laughs> So, but but I don't want us to start bringing our you know our cowbells and our, our horns to to sanctuary. But but what do you do? You know. So anyway, I thought that was neat. I preached on First Corinthians thirteen. I was tempted to preach through James, but I went back to my old faithful First Corinthians thirteen and love. But I noticed that James and Paul are saying the same thing, and they're saying the same thing Jesus said. 
that our greatest need is God's grace and our greatest calling is to give his grace. So let's see what he says in James chapter 4 verse 1. James says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. What is the wrong motive? He tells us. God's word is so clear if we would just read it. He says the wrong motives is, is so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Then he quotes, He, that is God, jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Father, thank you for this clear instruction that you give us on how needy we are of your grace. And help us to understand, Lord, that you love us, you've sent your Son to die for us, you've raised him from the dead, and you've put your Spirit within us. Our prayer this morning is that we would receive that grace in the ways that you've taught us. That we would start low with humility and surrender and submission. And that once that's in our hearts and minds, Lord, you will raise us up to joy and to peace and freedom. Father, we need you and your spirit in us and among us today as we, as we study and, and preach and seek to apply as we leave this place uh, your holy word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's good news here, but before we get to the good news, I want us to think about what James is saying in three Three different ways. First, we have an explanation as to why there is fighting and quarrels. Then we have an exhortation, what we should do. And then we have an encouragement, which is the encouragement that God gives us and the grace He gives us to be able to do what He's commanded us to do. So I want us to start by asking a question that James poses in verse 1. Why can't we all get along? You thought about that lately. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? That's a very interesting question. It reminded me of, 
and I've thought about this recently because of all that's gone on in our nation on a, on a larger scale. Do any of you remember in 1992 the, the, the beating of Rodney King? And then after the officers were let go, so to speak, there were six days of at that, what at that time was unprecedented violence. 2,000 people were injured. 55 people were dead. 11,000 people were arrested over the scope of six days. At some point, and I can't remember when because I was 22 and, and, and had other things on my mind. <laughs> All right? But at some point, what stood out to me was that he got before the nation and before the city of Los Angeles, and he posed this question. Why can't we all just get along? James is posing that same question to the church. Isn't that interesting? The church is supposed to have and display something very different from the world. My neighbor called me this week, or actually the, the, the person who owns the property that my neighbor lives in. Uh, and I could tell by the seriousness of her tone that she wanted to talk to me about something. <laughs> she says, could the golf balls that are being hit into our yard and into our house and almost into the person's car who lives there, could those golf balls be coming from your yard? <laughs> I said, uh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> they, they certainly could be coming from my yard. In fact, I'll go further than that. They are coming from my yard. <laughs> One of my sons has taken up golf, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but you, you probably could figure it out. And I said, uh, I, I, I built him a net in the backyard, but he's missing that net sometimes, and, and, and I'll take care of it. And what I did was I, I've, I've moved the nets so that maybe we can prevent those problems. What's the source of these balls that are hidden to our yards and these conflicts and these quarrels and these, the strife and we're at each other's throats and what's going on? James is posing that question. And he gives us an explanation. What's the explanation? He says the problem is what's inside of us. The problem is you want what you want, and they want what they want, and because of our fallen personal agendas, we've got all these competing wants going on inside of us. We all have conflict within and that's coming out in conflict without. Now, it's one thing for the world to be at conflict and lost people to be at conflict. It's a whole other thing for the church to be in conflict and for Christians to be in conflict together when God has, has given us the means by which we can love one another. And the world will know that we are Christians by our love, by this. The world will know that you are my disciples if you do what? If you love one another. It was a problem for James. It's a problem for us today. I heard a story one time about a couple of guys who were cleaning up the, the church after some worship services, and they found scribbled on a piece of paper the following little note. It went something like this. To dwell above with saints in love, hey, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints I know, now that's a different story. 
And at times we can all relate to that. Why can't we just get along? So let's think about what James says. Within each one of us is, is uh, you know, there's a kingdom in every man's chest. And, and there's a war within there that's dealing with our ultimate allegiance. It's dealing with our worship. There's a war going in, on inside of all of us. And James calls this, this our, our pleasures, our, our divided hearts. He uses the word lust. He uses the word envy. And then he says that that creates an aspect of lack. So what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you that creates conflict and division? Lust, envy, and lack. The word that he uses here for lust is where we get the word hedonism. When he's talking about not loving the world and and not being friends with the world, he's not talking about the people of the world. We are certainly to love the people of the world. He's not talking about nature because God speaks to us through nature and we are to care for and be good stewards of the world that God has placed us in. He's talking about the world, the flesh, and the devil, the systems that are opposed to God and His grace and creates within us the lust and the tension and the envy and the lack. A.W. Tozer, speaking to this, has some pretty strong language about lust. He says, all of us experience dejection. And that springs from one or two sources. Either I have satisfied a lust or I've not. So when you have lust, when you satisfy it and when it's not satisfied, either way you're miserable. Lust means I must have it at once. And spiritual lust means I must have it at once. I demand an answer from God rather than seeking God who gives an answer. It's loving God for who He is, not what we can get out of Him. And so that's why, he says, many of you, because of these underlying issues and because of the tension within, some of you are committing murder. Really? That seems pretty extreme, doesn't it? That that anger and tension and conflict would lead us to, to take someone's life. But is that not all over the Bible? Cain and Abel. Sin is crouching right there at your door and you must master it. And Cain lashes out at his brother because of something that he lacked. And the envy and the jealousy and the anger in his heart. Why did Joseph's brothers want to kill him? What was going on inside of them? Lust and envy. Jesus, even in the Sermon on the Mount, begins to talk about our words and how damaging and murderous our words. Well, now that all of us can relate to. But what you and I have got to realize is that the seed of every sin lives deep within us. And we may say, oh, well, I would never you know, resort to taking someone's life because of lust and jealousy. Watch yourself and be careful and don't ever underestimate your ability to do evil to get what you want. Let me say that again. Don't ever underestimate your ability to justify and do evil to get what you want. It's inside of you. It's inside of me. It's inside of every one of us. And James is telling us, you and I will justify and, and we will defend our own agenda, even to the point of, of, of sinning against God and other people through our words and our deeds. What's the solution? 
going to shock you. No, it's not, because it's simple. It's, it's prayer. The solution for my lust and my envy and my competition and myself and my agenda is, is to pray. Did you ever think to stop and ask God and seek His faith and His will? If each one of us within our homes and within our churches and within our businesses and within our society, if each one of us would humble ourselves before God and ask, and ask completely surrendered, then the lust and the envy and the conflict, the tension that's, that's in me waiting to burst out will be settled by the relationship that we can have with God. But prayer goes against our fallen pride. Because I want my way, right? And getting on my knees in brokenness and asking communicates and reflects dependency on God, which is reality. But when I pray, I also need to ask, why am I asking for these things? Am I asking for these things to glorify God and serve other people? Or am I asking for these things? And we know we've got undivided hearts. We've got mixed motives. We love to exalt ourselves. Am I asking for these things for self-interest? For me to, to rise higher? And again, that makes me think, man, have I ever prayed a perfect prayer? And the answer is no. But we'll get to that in a minute because there's grace for that too. His wording gets even stronger. That if I lust and envy for the things of this world to glorify me and to exalt me and to exaggerate me, that's actually spiritual adultery. I'm falling in love with someone other than God. I'm loving the world too much. It is idolatry and we've left our first love. You cannot love both and you cannot serve both God and mammon. You're either an enemy or a friend. I'm just laying out what James says in his text. And there's a reason why this won't work. There's a reason why when we fall in love with the world and we give ourselves completely to the world system, there's a reason why we end up feeling left with a lot to be desired, and it's all by God's design. This is one of the most interesting verses in the Bible, and it's in verse 5. Why will I never be satisfied with lust and envy and jealousy? Well, there's a, there's a divine conspiracy. There's a setup. God has put his spirit within me, and God desires the spirit that he's put within me. So God's working against my friendship with the world on purpose. He's a jealous God. He's jealous for us. He loves us. He's passionate about us. And he knows that he's what's ultimately good for us. So he puts within me something that he craves and desires that will only be satisfied with God himself. It's a divine conspiracy working against us in order for us to find our true joy and fulfillment in him. If you go against this grain, you will get splinters. 
He's put his spirit in us. He's shed his love abroad in our hearts through the spirit. And he jealously desires this spirit so that nothing else will ever satisfy us except him. He gives a better grace. You know what that is saying? He gives himself. Augustine said, God, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are going to be restless until they find rest in thee. That's why when I love the world, and I pursue the world, and I invest in the world, there's always going to be this sense of lack, this sense of dis-ease, this sense of, is that it? You ever hear these stories about people who finally get what the world's selling? They reach the top of their profession, their field, they win the championship, they get the award. And, and, and I've heard several of them say, is, is that it? Because I still feel empty. Something's still wrong with me. There's a great void in my life. Absolutely. God has set it up that way so that our hearts will only be ultimately satisfied in Him. So, here it is. That is the oil for the machinery of life. That's the relational oil and grace that we need to run this, this thing called life, is satisfaction and fulfillment in God. Now, if you try to run your lawnmower or your engine without putting oil in it because of all the moving parts... Because of all the tension, because of all the power, if it doesn't have grace in it, it's going to break down. And what James is saying is the reason there's quarrels and conflicts and fighting is that the grace of God himself is not there to make sure the relationship runs right. It's each person on their knees before God, satisfied in God, content in God, not fighting and quarreling with lust and jealousy. James is saying that's the oil that all of us need in our homes and our churches to keep the whole thing from falling apart and combusting. So then the question, do I really recognize that he is my all in all? Have I found contentment and satisfaction through prayer and seeking God first and his will? I mean, apologies to, to Mary and Jenny. I'm not trying to make, you know, cheap, emotional, sentimental points here, but I thought all week about this song that Freddie Duncan loves so much, As the Deer. Do y'all, do y'all know what it says? You alone are my strength and my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. Look, you alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. I want you more than gold or silver. Listen, only you can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. You alone. Think about that song and think about what that song is saying. Then think about whether or not we truly believe that he alone is enough. That's exactly what James is saying in verses 1 through 5. He's put himself in us, and he desires what he's put in us, and he is not going to allow any of us to ever find fulfillment beyond or apart from a relationship with him, the heart of which is, is prayer, personal prayer. This, this is reality whether we like it or not. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, because all you're here at 9 a.m. seeking the Lord in his word. <laughs> 
and in worship and in prayer. But James has just given us an explanation for why relational breakdown and tension occurs. And it's all about what's going on inside of me and you. And we're very quick to recognize when other people have this off base. But if we are first thinking about where other people have this off base, then we are reading what James is saying completely wrong. It's in you. It's in me. So what are we to do, Doc? All right, all right, you've told me the bad news. Well, then he gives us the prescription. He gives us the exhortation, and it's all very foreign to us naturally. We don't do these things well naturally, and that's what we got to be careful of because he, here's why. Your pride cannot see itself in the mirror. By nature, my pride doesn't recognize itself. That's why we have blinders on. So we need help from the Word of God and other people. And James is showing you and me. So he gives us this exhortation about the possibility of grace. Okay, God is so much better. God is so much better than lust and envy and conflict and jealousy. Okay, so you're preaching that God's better. Well, tell me what to do, dear friend. And James says, I'll tell you what to do. Surrender. His first word is submission. Look at verse 7. Submit to God. Saul, Saul, it's difficult to kick against the goads. You cannot win fighting God. So the first step is to absolutely surrender to him in brokenness. To submit. Now, I don't know what you do when your will runs head on with God's will, but here's what James says do. James says you better submit and surrender and wave the white flag. I give up. Your conflict is not necessarily with other people. Your conflict ultimately is with God. And with the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan and self. The Bible talks about that in, in other areas. That he alone is God and his glory he will not give to me or you or anybody else. And I'm not self-sufficient. I'm not autonomous. I'm not God. But I'm sinful and I'm needy and I need to wave the white flag in, in my wrestling match with God and, and submit and surrender. That is the only option. And I don't just do this the day of my salvation. You and I are called to do this every single day. Submit to God. And in the process, fight the devil. Yeah, that's exactly what James says. Verse 7, resist the devil. Here's our problem. We are offering the devil and the world and the flesh no resistance. As the coach would say to the defense, they're running all over us today. But the good news is that if we resist him, he must flee. How do we resist the devil? Here's how. The devil is lying. The lies of envy and lust and jealousy which come from him must be resisted as, at all costs. They must be mortified. They must be constantly attacked. I need to pour contempt on all my pride. And, and, and Martin Luther said this in that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Luther said, one small word will fail him. Well, somebody asked Luther, what is that one small word? We need to know it. That sounds like a secret. 
And you know what Luther's reply was? You lie. Well, that's two words. But maybe the one small word is lie. We need to look envy and lust and jealousy in the eye and say that is a lie because what it's selling, we can't be buying because what it's selling will destroy me. It will destroy my relationships and everything around me. It is, adult, it is spiritual adultery. That's how we resist him. Man, this is quite an exhortation. Submit to him. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Look at the next phrase, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, meaning live righteously, do good, purify your heart. I got a question about that. How can I purify my sinful heart? Do, do I do that myself? How does that happen? Hold that thought. Be miserable and mourn. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to cry. I don't want to mourn, but that's the first step, is it not? Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, they shall be comforted. Without mourning and repentance and grief, we'll never know true healing and freedom and joy. Humble yourself in the presence of God. See how infinitely holy and glorious He is in comparison to who you are. Somebody asked Billy Graham one time, Billy, with all that you've taught the presidents, you've preached to millions, you lead these great crusades, you, 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 you're on top of the world, you've got all the, this money. I mean, how do, you, how do you stay humble? He said, well, the first thing I remember is it's, it's not a choice, it's a command. Humble yourself. Stay low. Do it. Whatever you have to do to bring yourself down, you better do it. Humble yourself in the presence of God. Ah, and he will exalt you in his time and his way. Not the way the world exalts, but the way God exalts. And the way God exalts is ultimately in the kingdom that is to come. But I'll just stop and say this. This exhortation to Mourning and repentance and submission. Ah, that's like that's like when you go to the doctor and you get the prescription and you can't even read the thing, right? You go to the doctor and you say, Doc, I'm sick. I got this wrong with me. And I tell something and, say, and he writes all this stuff down and he hands it to you. You can't even read it. And then once you turn it into the pharmacy and they give it back to you, not only could you not read it, but it tastes really bad, right? And you think, good grief. I can't read the prescription, and then once I take it, it tastes really bad. When you hear James telling you that the problem is not other people, the problem's inside of you, and what you need to do is humble yourself before God, submit to Him in brokenness. You need to grieve your sin. You need to cleanse your hands. You need to purify your heart. That sounds like bad news, but let me say this. There's a side of this that's good news because when I go to the hospital and they write something that I can't understand or read and they give me something I don't like to take, there's good news involved in that, and here's the good news. It implies that there is a physician that's, that's trustworthy, that's been to medical school, that knows this condition and how to deal with it. 
So James gives us an exhortation or this prescription, but, but I want to close by giving us an encouragement. <laughs> because repentance and submission and all that stuff, grieving our sin, that tastes bad to us. But all, listen, all good medicine tastes bad. <laughs> We could use COVID as an example. People don't like to test. And, and in many cases, they, they don't like the solution. No, we, what we need spiritually is very similar. We don't like all this, submission and repentance. But let me, let me show you the good side. And, and there is a good side. This encouragement is, is the sufficiency of grace that comes from the great physician. Because what James has in here, with the prescription and their exhortation, are these wonderful promises of things that you and I do not deserve. And here's what I want to say. He says that, that God is opposed to the proud, but let's turn that around. Listen to this. God gives grace to the humble. Wow. Grace and all that comes with it, God's riches at Christ's expense, that if I'll do the, the difficult part of humility, that the other side of that is this great encouragement that I get the sufficiency of grace. I get forgiveness. I get His Spirit living inside of me. I get eternal life. I get all this. I get forgiveness and transformation. I get, I get what the thief on the cross got when he couldn't do anything. But turn to Christ and say, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. And the other one was angry. He was hostile. He was unrepentant. He was self-justified. He was blaming Jesus. But there was one that was broken. He said, Lord, remember me. And God, in that moment, gave grace to the humble. And he said, and truly I tell you, this very day you'll be with me in paradise. What a physician. What a promise. What grace. There's another promise here. If you resist the devil, the good news is that he will flee from you. I am no match for Satan himself. Don't ever say that you are. None of us are. We're all like Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't think that you would have passed the test or the, the temptation. But here's the good news. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. And because of God's grace to you, if you resist the devil, Peter also said the same thing. You must, he must flee from you. What a physician. That if I will resist, because of the power of the physician, the devil has to flee. He has no choice. Do I deserve that? No. Did Peter deserve? No. Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked me if he can sift you like wheat. But Peter... I've prayed for you, and you're going to come back. When you come back, you'll strengthen your brethren. Job, <laughs> Satan, you can go this far with Job, but, but no further. God always protects his children and his servants from the wiles of the devil as he gives them the grace to resist him from taking them fully as his own. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. What a promise. How do I draw near to God? 
then how do I know that he'll draw near to me? Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. A sinner like me doesn't deserve to have a holy God be his friend and in his presence. What grace that the physician provides, atonement and forgiveness and righteousness. This, this kind of like serve pro. You know serve pro? They go in, they clean up these disasters. Now their, their motto is serve pro, as if it never happened. <laughs> you know, right. I don't know anybody's that good. But the righteousness of God is that my sins and iniquities he will remember no more. And that I approach him in righteousness covered with Christ. I'm welcomed into God's presence like the father welcomed the prodigal son. If you draw near to God, here's the good news. The great physician will draw near to you. He won't cast you out. And you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. Right where you are. Not, not in here, but anywhere you are. If you draw near to God in prayer, He will draw near to you. What a promise that extends across all people and all places and all things. That, that wonderful hymn that, that we've sung before, Kneel at the Cross. I had an aunt who thought that that was about me. <laughs> she said, your name's, your name's, she was a little mixed up. <laughs> Everybody's got the mixed up aunt. She says, there's a song about you in the Bible. And I said, what is it? She said, kneel at the cross. I'm like, what? But in her own sweet way, there is a song about me in the Bible. Kneel at the cross, what? Christ will meet you there. Well, does that mean go back to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago? No, it means that right where you are, you can set up a personal time before Almighty God because of what Jesus did for you. He will draw near to you, and he will exalt you. Does that mean he's going to give me everything I've ever wanted? All my dreams are going to come true? No, it's, it's actually better than that. It's becoming like Christ. It's being in heaven where there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. It's being exalted to where, to where Jesus is in beauty and righteousness all I'm saying is that the great physician has the grace that's sufficient for you and me that when the hard part of grief and repentance and the bad medicine, and we, we, we can't read the prescription, but we can trust that if God did not with his, with soul, withhold his son from us, how shall he not also freely give us all things? His grace is sufficient. To both create the desire and the power to do these things. And then his grace provides the reward on the other side. Because by nature, I don't want to submit to God. By nature, I don't want to resist the devil. By nature, I don't want to mourn. I don't want to repent. So God meets me in the beginning as the author of salvation... And he's also there the whole time at the end. He is the finisher of salvation. So what you and I need to do is humble ourselves before God and others and trust him to do the work. Trust him to do the work. To come before God in repentance and to live before people in repentance. Now I guarantee you God's way is better. 
His grace is better. So oftentimes our biggest need is how to respond when we've messed up. We mess up a lot. I mess up a lot. I got people hitting golf balls in other people's yards, in town. <laughs> Not out here in the country, in town. Hey, stay low. I was dropping off Bennett at elementary school back last year. I can't even remember when we were in school last. Y'all know the drop-off, pick-up, the stop-and-go traffic, stop-and-go, you pull up, you, you pull up, you stop, you pull up, you stop. Well, one morning early, I wasn't paying very good attention, and I bumped the car in front of me. <laughs> drop-off nightmare. Bennett's in the back. I'm almost to the door, but I bumped the guy in front of me. Oh, no. Guy gets out of his car, comes up and looks between us. He's ready to fight. He does his hands like this. And I got out and I says, you don't know who I am. It was just a little bump. I can't believe you're making a big deal. No, I didn't do any of that. Because I know what it's like to mess up. I rolled down my window and I said to this guy, I says, I am so sorry. And it immediately diffused him. And he said, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. Then after we dropped in, Bennett's back there just, you know, weirding out because of this whole thing. <laughs> after I dropped Bennett off, I pulled up beside the guy up there where we were. And, and I said, you sure everything's good? Everything's good. My heart dropped to the floor. I couldn't believe how dumb I was. But you know, things like that happen all the time. It, to all of us and by all of us, and we don't always handle it well. What you and I need to get really good at in relationship to God and others are, are, is that phrase, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's what we first begin the Christian life with to God. And then that is the oil and the grace that we continue with God and others. Do you know what that's like? I know what it's like to handle it the opposite way. That's always a disaster. God gives a greater grace. <laughs> Let's pray that we'll receive it and give it. Father, thank you this morning for this passage it's such a such a rich passage you enrich our hearts and minds and i pray that as we go out and and live this that we would understand our need for you and for your grace thank you jesus in his name we pray amen let's stand and sing
We're going to end with Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus this morning. sounded really pretty so I just let you have it y'all have a good week